This is Father Patrick Briscoe. And this is Father Gregory Pine. Welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Father Gregory. Hello. October is the month of the... Blessed Virgin Mary. Sort of. And the World Series. Unless sort of. It, unless it takes longer and then you play part of it in November. Keep going. Um, <laughs> Dig around in there. It's the month of the beginning of the Burrs. No, mm-hmm. because September has already started the month of the Burrs. Um, Monday Night Football. No. Right. No, I'm I'm fresh out. The Rosary. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Wait, did no, I, I was, say that? You said Virgin Mary. Okay. And I said sort of. Wow. And then you said the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Rosary. It's like a series of things. <laughs> it was a great around the world. Se- it was a great sequence. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we could we could do other word associations with I when when I say the Blessed Virgin Mary, but I'm I'm afraid of where you might take us. No, all good we things. Might get, we might get too far afield. No, that no, never so happens. October is the month of the Rosary. <laughs> what should we say about it? Um, well, we could say lots of things about it. I mean, it's I mean, we're not doing the episode about this, but we may as well have a small episode at the beginning of the long episode because that affords people options. <laughs> so people can say in the YouTube comments, skip to 431 if you, if you don't care. Actually, hey. we recorded an episode recently where it was supposed to be about St. Dominic and the Rosary, but instead we just talked about the anniversary of the podcast and people listen to it. They're like, that wasn't bad, but also it wasn't what I was expecting. <laughs> so now we're making up for lost time and lost opportunities. There are people who tune into this podcast just for the banter and they don't listen to the rest of the episode <laughs> they're out there so this nonsense this is for you yeah and I, I tune into the episode for the banter truth be told like if father bonaventure can get me to the point of having to run headlong to the bathroom for fear of what might happen otherwise like that's a good episode <laughs> as to the substantive content shared i mean take quick, it or leave quick, it get some bleach we gotta, <laughs> we gotta do some cleanup um, yeah, no. So the, so the rosary, um, <laughs> I think that's an important devotion to promote in the month of October seems, because seems it's so. a month dedicated to the rosary. Right? Yeah. Cause on yeah. October 7th, 1571, the Christians beat the Turks at the battle of Lepanto and they were all equipped with the rosary because the Pope at the time, Pope St. Pius V, a good Dominican, the reason for which the Pope wears white equipped them with our lady's lasso slash the, the greatest spiritual weapon that they could have wielded. And so when they won this awesome victory, it was declared the feast of Our Lady of Victory, later redubbed Our Lady of the Most Holy Rosary. And yeah, high-fiving has ensued ever since. So if you're watching on YouTube at this point, you can put the little marker in because we're going <laughs> to transition to the actual content of the episode, our playful introduction having ceased. So that marker in the notes can go right here. All right, here we are talking about self-care, actually. Yeah. Um, and the rosary can be a kind of self-care. <laughs> if, if, you see, you, know, you like what I did there? Tremendous. I know, it was a giant fake out. I, yeah. couldn't, I, I couldn't resist. Um, but but in all seriousness, the rosary can help us uh, insofar as it, it, um, it situates us in such a way that we can approach life's challenges so that we can actually face them. And I think that's one of the things that people are looking for when they start talking about self-care, right, is the need to the need to have enough strength to hang on Mm. today. And so uh, one of the risks about raising the question of self-care is that it could be immediately dismissed, especially by faithful Catholics. So maybe let's start there. Um, Some people might even be angry that there's an episode on God's planning about self-care. Quite naturally. Um, So so what what would we say say about, about those temptations and reasons why um, people might be sort of cautious towards the concept? Yeah. 
Well, I, I think that the 20th and 21st century, it seems, with the passage of time, uh, are becoming more, I mean, the 20th century isn't becoming anything because it's in the past, but here in the 21st century, we're becoming more and more therapeutic in our outlook. Now, there are good things that therapy affords, but it usually corresponds to a loss of a transcendent horizon. So like self-help, it's not the worst thing in the world, but if you divorce the conversation of self-help from the conversation of like worship and the offering mm -hmm. of your life to the Most High God, then it can be problematic because it gives people the impression that it's just a matter of, you know, improving themselves or pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps, which is something against which we rail frequently here on the podcast. And I think that a similar suspicion falls on self-care because it sounds like the type of indulgent therapeutic discourse, which our 21st century contemporaries are inclined to, to seize upon at every possible opportunity. And whether they ought to, I think, is a, is a good question. Uh, but, but maybe it'd be better for us to kind of situate the conversation, to redeem, you know, the parts of the conversation that can be redeemed, and perhaps to set aside those which perhaps, perhaps, perhaps ought to be left aside. Yeah, I really don't like the idea of people invoking self-care when they're looking to uh, eschew culpability, mm. right? When they, you know, instead of saying, oh, I just misarranged my schedule and I need more time on this deadline, uh, at the last minute, you'll get an excuse and the excuse will be given that, oh, it's, you know, and uh, there's a great need for self-care at this moment. And then there can be no other conversation. So, mm -hmm. so self-care will be used as a kind of definitive protective mechanism by which a person can get out of any kind of culpability uh, which they should actually bear in the course of their actions. So, uh, and I think people also use it, and this is similar, but a little bit different. People use it in order not to feel guilty about other choices that they've made, mm -hmm. right? And so, uh, so, so really when it comes to guilt, um, people, people will identify, and you, you were kind of getting here, I use the word indulgent. Um, when people want something, um, they will say that it's self-care, and it will be used to justify massive shopping sprees or something like that. Right. Um, so retail therapy. As retail my therapy. Says. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, exactly. So we're not incriminating any particular persons on <laughs> this episode, um, unless we choose to incriminate ourselves. Um, but but I think but I think that that is very much um, that is very much uh, one of the risks and something that that I'm um, sensitive to in the way that I've heard some of this language being used. So again. So again, um, I think pe people can people can use a claim on self care. They can make a claim on self care to get out of get out of something that they don't want to do, or to make an excuse for themselves, and also respond to any feelings of guilt to assuage that. When Christian life has other mechanisms for both of those things. Yeah, and I think that brings before us the the key concept, which is responsibility. Hmm. So as human beings, we're seeking not only to own our responsibility, but actually to heal and grow our responsibility because responsibility is just a description of what happens with love. So love naturally seeks a kind of commitment, a kind of engagement, because otherwise it's, it's not real love, it's just flirtation. Uh, and that's not to say you need to marry the next thing that passes you by, but it does mean to say that if you constantly find yourself flitting amongst relationships, backing away from them just as soon as they place demands upon you, that's typically an indication of immaturity. Mm -hmm. And so what we want is, again, to heal and to grow our responsibility so that we can be the people whom God is calling us to be and undertake the mission uh, that flows from that. And so when it comes to self-care, it needs to be, if it's to be redeemed, it needs to be worked into an understanding of responsibility, right? I lay claim to this or I incorporate this into my life, into my schedule so that I can actually 
be more responsible or so that I can actually like nourish the responsibility that I have kind of at, at stake here in my, in my relationships and my work situation and my ministerial life or whatever else it is. So if I use it as a way to distance, or if I use it as a way to exculpate, which is to say, shift blame, protect myself, or if I use it as a way to what set up a smoke screen when it comes to the assignation of guilt, culpability, like you said, then, then we've got a serious problem. But if we can incorporate it into a genuinely human culture, and if it becomes part and parcel of my healing and growth so that I can be, you know, this identity for this mission, then that that's that strikes me as something potentially good. So let's step into this a little bit more. Uh, so we so we've laid out some cautions about self care and some of the reasons why people might rightfully be apprehensive about adopting some of this language without any kind of distinction. Uh, what what are the kinds of things? that we think people actually need? You know, is there anything to this idea of self-care that we might want to insist is in fact redeemable? Yeah. And I think, you know, this issues directly from the types of considerations that we trotted out at the outset. Like, what do we want to do with our lives? We want to make of them an offering. We want to make of them a pleasing sacrifice to the Most High God because we're made for worship. Okay. Now, in the Old Testament system, for instance, when you offer worship, the Holocaust offering, you know, when you we take the victim and you burn it whole and entire on the altar to show that God is worthy, to show that God is sovereign, you don't pick the worst in the flock. You pick the best in the flock because God is worth your best, which isn't a kind of strange prosperity gospel type pronouncement like give God your money and he's going to give you more money and give God your health and he's going to give you better health. Who knows what will happen? Um, but it is to say that we seek to be good stewards of the gifts that we have been given precisely so that we can render them unto him. And so it's a matter not so much of amassing a healthful or a well-adjusted fortune, but of, you know, as it were, investing in ourselves insofar as God gives us to do so as to render it unto him as a pleasing offering. And so things that come into this consideration or come under this rubric would be like sleep, nutrition, <laughs> you know, exercise, um, leisure, you know, play, uh, vacation. All those things are worthwhile considering like wh where do these fit as, as pieces of the puzzle or where do these fit as parts which make up together a human life, an, an integral whole, so that I can render of myself a pleasing offering to God because he doesn't just want um, I don't know, like a desiccated husk, which was formerly a man, or he doesn't want a burnt out, otherwise bedraggled, hungry, haggard, you know, like shell. He, he, he wants me. And in order for it to be me, I need to take account of what I am and how best to, to draw forth from those native potencies, something real, something good, something excellent. So yeah, those would be some. Yeah, one of the balances that, that hits hard in religious life is that it insists on this in a certain way, mm. right? Like we, we build this into our schedule. Um, our communities, and it looks different depending on the place that you are, our communities build in a time for conversation, for for that kind of restorative uh, sharing of the common life. So we call it variously recreation, rec, um, uh, pre-perennials. That's my favorite uh, code uh, word for happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just gave the whole game away there. If you ever yeah. see that word pre-perennials on something in religious life, you now know what it means. Um, but but we have we have these periods uh, of leisure, of play that are built into the common life. So, so it's insisted on by the very structure of our religious life, um, because we know that we know that those moments can be regenerative. Um, that they're moments where uh, where we're going to draw men out from their work, because otherwise Dominicans will stay at their desks doing whatever it is that they're doing, or in their apostolate doing whatever it is that they're doing. 
until such time as they're they're called home for God. I mean that that's that's an extraordinary thing about Saint Dominic, right? That he nearly worked himself to death. This is, in fact, our best guess as to what killed him was that, that he just worked himself to the grave, which is pretty cool. Um, but <laughs> but 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 the thing that we're talking about here is not the grace of the saint, not the grace of the founder, but um, but the kind of the kind of leisure that makes it possible to continue on with the work um, in, an, in an extraordinarily human way. So this virtue of leisure, which religious life insists on cultivating in a period of shared conversation, in recreation, um, is, an, is important, actually. And so I think some people who look at the orarium of religious life under a kind of rubric of self-care would identify this moment as self-care, mm. um, when I would never use that word for it. No. No, I think that we would think about it in terms of the common life. Um, so in our own constitutions, it describes those features which taken together make up a Dominican life. And so obviously, you know, we talk about prayer, you know, the celebration of the sacred liturgy, the choral office. Uh, we talk about study uh, as part of our contemplative life. We rise by study and by prayer uh, to the contemplation of the Most High God. And we give testimony to that in preaching, um, right? So that's that's a huge you know, feature of this contemplative life is that it kind of spills over our bottom lips and we come to discover, oh, I've said things about the God whom I've come to know and love. Um, and then this, you know, like this common life is the setting in which all of this unfolds. And then, you know, it's it's specifically a vowed life. And then we can talk about other things besides is issuing from that, but those would be kind of, as it were, bread and butter. Um, and so with within that setting, like you're right, we wouldn't call recreation self-care, but we wouldn't also we wouldn't omit it for fear of the imbalance that it would introduce into our lives. It's kind of like a conservative instinct. When you come to a fence in the wood, you need to know first what it's keeping in or what it's keeping out before you tear it down. And so our, you know, our forebears have had time for recreation and we might not sympathize with the practice and the novitiate because we will call it things like forced fun. Um, <laughs> and it can feel a little, you know, staged or a little bit precious. And yet there is a wisdom to it because um, while we have given up, family life, uh, not just a wife and kids, but we've given up our families in effect. Uh, there is always going to be a kind of familial and social setting to human flourishing. So it's like there are there are things at work within the human heart which can't attain to their flourishing. They can't attain to their fulfillment except in a social and political context because we're social and political animals. And so we're, we're thinking about it more in terms of, of human nature, you know, both just taken on its own, but also subject to the reign of grace, right? The healing and growing power of grace, which will conduct us ultimately to our supernatural beatitude. And we, we're trying to think about like living a human life, right? Not just optimizing and maximizing and treating ourselves as if we were prayer and study robots. Like we've all tried that. It involves a lot of espresso and <laughs> not an insignificant amount of tobacco products, right? But, but it, it's not only does it grind you down and make you inefficient, it just makes you less human. And at the end of the day, as a preacher, when you turn to the people of God and say, I've seen the living God, my visage is transfigured by the encounter. They're like, nonsense. What I see is a really tired child. Go to bed. <laughs> So there's this 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 human dimension which subject to grace is what like the, the the gospel in a certain sense presumes it. Now that's to speak more of our ministerial setting, but like it's true of the entirety of our human lives, regardless of whether you're in a religious state or otherwise, which basically all of our listeners are otherwise. Um, but yeah, so I think that that that's just one dimension of it, you know, to talk about leisure, play, recreation, but there are all these other things that we can look past or look beyond because we don't see exactly how they contribute, but taken together, that's just what a human life is. You know, when we talk about sleep or, you know, like nutrition or stress, mat, whatever it is, 
I keep using the categories that I've inherited from reform wellness because the women that, you know, work at the apostolate or, you know, kind of founded the apostolate, they're awesome. They're great. Uh, but I think about it now in those terms because I am haunted by my excesses and defects. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I, and I, th I think this, this really hits, uh, this, this really hits, um, what lies at the heart of the question I think of self-care, which is what is too much and what is too little. And I think the, I think the grave excesses, the grave defects are obvious enough. And we, you know, we sort of describe them in caricatures, but what, what virtues or, or what, what kinds of things can help us navigate, navigate this situation if we're asking, okay, I'm looking at my life and, uh, and I'm trying to figure out, do I need self-care? If yes, how much, how do we answer those questions? What things are at our disposal? Yeah. So I, I think often of the way that St. Thomas described the life of grace, he said, uh, you, you can't really take your own spiritual temperature with any accuracy. He's like, yeah, you might be in a state of grace. You might not. You're not going to know with the kind of mathematical certitude that you have regarding two plus two equals four. But he says, you can judge it on the basis of certain evidential signs. Like, are you visibly, like physically, emotionally, um, psychologically tending further up and further into the divine life? You know, like what things can you measure? Uh, like the fruits of the spirit, I think would be a good indication. Uh, CF, St. Paul, uh, he's an authority. Uh, and, and then, um, you know, you can, you can take the temperature of those indicators and then reason back that, okay, maybe, maybe the divine life is at work in a way that's more powerful, that's more present. And so in, in our own case, for instance, uh, for me, a good indication is when I wake up and I feel sadness and anger, that's usually an indication that something's a little wonky. Mm. When I sit down on my computer and I'm about to start the workday, and I would much prefer to slam my hand repeatedly in a freezer door than write anything about whatever it is that awaits me at my desk, that's typically an indication that things have gone wonky. Right? When I, when I find myself kind of rushing through a meal, even with the brothers so that I can get back to my desk on account of the fact that I'm way behind on whatever task, that's usually an indication that things are wonky. Because sure, there are going to be days in which there are deadlines that you're going to have to meet. But if you persistently find yourself looking beyond the very flesh and blood fraternity, which is your setting in life for salvation, things have gone a little wonky. So I think that we, we, we accustom ourselves to a wonky practice of humanity. Right. And when we get the opportunity to recognize, whoa, this isn't as it ought to be, that's usually a reminder that something needs to, something needs to change. Right. The, and you, you, you sort of hit on one of the things that I wanted to raise, which is that the emotions are a guide here, that, that certainly what, what we're feeling has a legitimacy. It is not uh, an exclusive authority. Um, so, so we need to be attentive to them, um, but we cannot, we cannot, uh, obey them slavishly. And I think that's what leads to that. What, that's what leads to indulgence when we're constantly saying to ourselves, well, I feel this. And if we're just going in search of things or a, a, any, any, any kind of experience that we might justify as self-care, um, for our happiness, then we're going to be searching in vain. Yeah. And then that, that's where we can know for sure that, that we've hit a point of access. So again, um, being attentive as you were, you were suggesting to our feelings, I think is very important, but not allowing ourselves to be beholden to them or to allow that to be the only measure of what we're seeking. Um, I think is, is key to keep in mind. Yeah. And I, I think like the physical indications that we get, the emotional psychological indications that we get, they're, they're a little bit volatile, but they obviously they yield some truth. They yield some data at the very least as to how we're doing. And that's another reason why it's so helpful to have, you know, people call it a plan of life or people call it a formation or people call it a rule or whatever else. 
um, to have some framework within which we can make these judgments. Because if everything in your life is changing, then you're going to seize every opportunity to indulge in the kind of crass, imminent, secular self-care because you're always going to have negative indicators. Right. Unless you're currently on a high dose of whatever causes positive emotions. I haven't found that drug yet. Keep me posted. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> You know, it's like we're always going to feel that way. And but if we can structure it within a plan of life, which affords some stability, some discipline, then we can make judgments over the course of weeks and months and years. And then we can have the confidence. OK, things are getting better. Not insofar as the plan for my human life is simply to improve the material conditions. So that way I can feel better physically, emotionally and psychologically. No, there's more to be had there. But at the very least, I want to make sure that I'm not disintegrating at a more rapid rate than is you know, dictated by nature, which has its own mind in this particular equation. Right. But but like I, I, I want to do what I can in this kind of work of stewardship. So I need to fix certain points so that within the bounds of them, I have some notion as to what's going on. Yeah, the drug you're looking for is definitely Timocell. <laughs> so I think that uh, I think that one thing that's important to recognize too as we're having this conversation is that the future doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Um, and it's not a helpful predictor of what it is that we want or what what it is that's ultimately going to make us happy. And so in the, in this conversation as we're saying, well, is it is it self-care where am I at? You know, am I, how am I situated between excess and and defect um the most helpful thing is to to review what we've done you know as 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 you're suggesting you started by taking a kind of emotional inventory but to look back actually at our life and assess how did i spend my time mm. um and if it's a genuine by doing it by undertaking a genuine review of how things have actually been we can take stock i think in a, in a more reasoned um, and accurate way apart from imagining what we want things to be um so to look back okay at, ha- at how I've lived and um, and really take stock of it and be honest about it and be clear about it um, and then and then make a plan to move forward um, which which sort of leads to what are what are the best ways for people to begin to integrate appropriate self-care in their lives um, so you so if someone listens to the episode they say oh gosh I thought self-care was a bunch of modern nonsense Ooh, yeah. and these friars convinced me that maybe it wasn't I'm going to self-care myself <laughs> uh, <laughs> How does, how does someone begin? Yeah, I think that, so one thing I would say is this, we tell ourselves a story about ourselves. Sometimes that story is true and sometimes it's false. And I think that that story (laughs) is subject to revision, right? Because we're living a life, we're interpreting a life and the Lord is at work. And I think that if we're telling ourselves a story of sadness, loneliness, anxiety, that might correspond to the data. Right. But we can't foreclose on the possibility of the Lord bringing about certain changes. Um, So, like, for instance, I I often I treasure my experience of anxiety, sadness and loneliness because I think it equips me uh, to kind of compassionate those who experience. So I self-style as a kind of apostle of anxiety, loneliness and sadness. But but I realize that that creates in me a kind of narrative of perpetuation such that I become, you know, like a nihilist in effect. Like I don't have genuine hope for the Lord's like in the Lord's capacity to renovate my interior life. Not because I think it's too terribly important that I be less sad, less lonely, less anxious. Like what, what is that? Truth be told, does that matter too terribly much? Maybe I'm thinking about this in, in overly <laughs> cosmic terms, but like I want to know him and I want to mm-hmm. love him and I want to comport myself as one who knows him and loves him because he is and because he is true and because he is good. And insofar as my vocation is to project that, to amplify that such that others can be caught into the wake of that love, then it's worthy, right? And if that means that I have to be a little bit suspicious about my own self judgments, good. 
Okay. God be praised because it's possible that certain things in my life might change and I might become otherwise than at present. And so that's like one of the things that I've been challenged on recently, which has been super cool. It's like, well, how much do you sleep? Why don't you think you can sleep more? What are you doing at 9.52? You know, when you fire off that last email, was it necessary? Could it have waited? What's your turnaround time? Thus and such, yada, yada. Because if you were to sleep, that might be a nice first step on a road to, you know, we call it self-care as far as the praxis, but integration, you know, physical, emotional, psychological integration so that I can be as a whole person more readily offered to the Lord in sacrifice and he can make use of me in the way he sees fit, even if that is ultimately to to work me to death. <laughs> but that's his decision to make, not my decision to presume upon just because I'm too sad, lonely, and anxious to recognize a further possibility for my life and I've just settled on being busy. You know? Right. I think that I think that with many of the, along with many of the things, uh, as is the case with many of the things that we propose here on the podcast, part of the answer is it's not gonna be great on this side of heaven. Yeah. It can be better, yeah. uh, but it won't be perfect. Um, because because that doesn't exist. So I think that it's helpful until the last day when it will. Okay, but it's not here yet. Um, so so I think that the the key is to understand. All right, that this is that this is on the way, and that this kind of interior renovation is going to require um, continuous work and assessment on my part. And you know, I, I liked a couple of things that you pointed out, which which are worth um, worth recapping here. Namely, finding someone to help you do it. Right to to help you question your own your own narrative, your own story, um, uh, and then and then uh, allowing that to continue to be turned over in your heart because um, it, it's a it's it's a mistake when we concluded oh yes you know if we've concluded I've got it now it's here and I'll just keep doing the same things until I die um, that's just not the way life works because circumstances can can throw us off and re- demand that demand that we have to rethink things. Um, I think a lot of people go through this uh, in the early stages of their marriage. Mm. I think that that, a, that that big moment of vocation shift, or even as a relationship is growing more serious, um, this this comes up and people begin to say, well, how much time do I really need for me? You know, we're, we're, and as a priest, you see this, especially um, in the eyes of a young mom that looks like, if you breathe too heavily in her direction, you're going to knock her over <laughs> because she's, because she's just, you're, she's just hanging on. So I, I think that, uh, I think that those moments where we're stepping into, uh, into our vocations, when we're, when we're, when we've got a new set of circumstances, we can't control entirely ourselves. A new baby is definitely one of those. Um, when, uh, when something happens at work, uh, or even in our parish community, it could be very disorienting when a, when a beloved parish priest gets transferred, as they now do every sixty seconds. Um, so I, I think those are those are the kind of moments of life, those benchmarks, where we should be saying to ourselves, "Okay, it's time to reassess what my what my practice in in uh, search of equilibrium is." Yeah, and I think that like those opportunities will often be modest and simple, but they can have a cumulative effect. You know, thinking especially of a young couple, maybe welcoming the first or their second child into their marriage, like you might think, ah, I no longer have time to pray in the morning. That's not true. Like you can take shifts, but that'll require a good, honest conversation amongst, you know, pertinent members of the family, like mom and dad mostly, but maybe a mother-in-law or a father-in-law or whomever else helps with childcare. It might mean just having a babysitter at certain times of the day for an hour or two so that you can pray. Like don't feel yourself trapped within the dread logic of your current disequilibrium because it needn't be so. 
Now, that's not to say money grows on trees and a lot of these things cost, but we have to figure out what's worth it and what's worth paying for, whether in currency or in time, attention, care, love, solicitude, whatever else. And, and not to settle for faux self-care. Like Netflix is not self-care. Netflix is the vacation or the evacuation of your responsibility as a human being. And it keeps yeah. you up later than you yeah. want. You sleep less than you want. You wake tireder than you want. And you love less, like excellently, less nobly than you hope to the next day. Same thing with the Instagram scroll. Yeah, exactly. Dude, death scrolling. It's a real, I mean, it's a thing. It's a thing. So when we can focus on those most precious aspects of our life, our faith, Right. And the things that contribute to it. Faith. Again, I've mentioned like nutrition at this point and stress management. Again, I'm just taking categories from reform wellness because I'm learning this stuff as of yesterday. Um, right. That that's super, super helpful for encouraging us uh, a more mature conversion and a real seriousness as it were about the types of disciplines which conduce to life, to genuine life. Right. And it takes a kind of grandness of soul, a sense of exploration, right, to say, OK, I'm going to do this thing because I heard someone talking about how it delighted them. I've never thought of doing that thing or pictured myself doing this thing. I, I heard recently of a, uh, from a friend who is newly married who uh, shared that he and his wife go hiking together and I dropped the phone because <laughs> I was so surprised. First of all, I was holding my phone, not using AirPods, but I dropped my phone because I was so surprised that this guy was hiking. Um, and it turns out that it gives him great joy. So so I think we, we have to have a kind of um, a, a kind of a great, again, greatest of soul or like relentless curiosity, however we want to describe it in these positive categories to be able to try something new when we realize, okay, my old patterns are, are not giving, um, giving the, the kind of rest or, um, they're not re- helping me recreate my interior life the way that it needs to be restored. Um, so we have, we just have to find new ones. We have to be brave about, about trying those new things. Yeah. And yeah, I often make mention, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but this idea to re-envision the moral furniture of your life, like we've moved into the space, we've decorated as it seemed fit to decorate it however many years ago. And the thought of redecorating is just, it's such a lift, you know, but you can spruce up a place. You don't have to, you know, uh, whatever, spend a bunch of money in order to overhaul it entirely. But you might pull down the posters from the old sports team that's no longer good and put up posters of a new sports team, which is a little bit better whatever bandwagon moving on. Um, but you can, you can do things to, to freshen up a space, to spruce up a space like this, this studio would not look nearly as good if I were in charge of decorating it because I don't have that moral imagination as it concerns the interior of dwellings because I'm a barbarian. Um, but you do, you can, uh, which is awesome. But like you need that, you need to welcome the Holy spirit insofar as he is capable of re-envisioning the interior space of your heart and renovating it according to his designs, which are far more beautiful than anything that you yourself can imagine. And that'll mean docility. That'll mean asking the question. That'll mean being attentive to prayer. So you can pick up on the indications, but it will mean gradual changes, which will place a claim, which is awful, but ultimately again, it conduces to life. That is a great last word. Thanks everyone for tuning in today for this episode on self-care. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in anytime you listen to God's planning. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, the artist formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> TikTok, uh, and to like and subscribe to these YouTube videos because the videos go out. Um, if you're interested in supporting our work, we would be very grateful. Consider tithing to the podcast. Links in the show notes will help you become a Patreon benefactor. Otherwise, check out the links in the description for our God's Planning merch and for upcoming God's Planning events, including 
since we were talking about October at the top of this episode, our upcoming episode for our upcoming episode, gosh, our upcoming retreat for young adults in Malvern, Pennsylvania. So check that out. Otherwise, please continue to pray for us and know that we're praying for you. God bless.